Don't forget to sign up on the waiting list for my new book and my new online course, which is everything you'd want to know about lips. All you need to do is click on the link, sign up, share the thank you page on your social networks and tag us in that post. You'll be in line for winning a free copy of the book and free access to the online course. When you first start injecting in medical aesthetics, it's often lips that people are most excited to treat. And then you start treating them and you realize side effects and risks are also quite high in this area. And then the anxiety starts and we need to figure out how do I get those beautiful results without causing subsequent problems? And that's what this show is about. Here are six tips on how to inject more safely in lips. So what's the maximum amount of filler you can do in one session while still remaining safe when treating lips? Personally, I don't think you should ever go beyond one mil per session. Now, I know that lots of people do do this, the risk of doing too much at once is it may be a bit of a shock to your patient. You may get a bad aesthetic result if you put too much in one session. And it's nice to have that space where you can think about what you've done, reassess and add more in a more controlled way. There's a chance that you can invert the wet dry border and then you have people constantly licking their lips to keep their lips wet. And there's a tiny risk perhaps of compression or lumpiness caused by putting too much filler in one particular injection. What are the risks of occlusion in lips and how can we avoid this? Well, this is a big topic. The risks are fairly high, but the severity of lip occlusions tends to be lower for two main reasons. Firstly, they are usually diagnosed fast because you can see when the lips haven't got blood flow to them. So treatment normally happens earlier. The rescue processes are usually more effective. And the second is that we don't tend to be using very large volumes in the lips. So the occlusions tend to be smaller than what they might be if you're using a full half mil as a bolus, for example. There are so many things you can do to reduce the risk. I would, if I was to distill it down to one thing, I would say, think about the anatomy in millimeter by millimeter detail. You need to have an awareness of the depth of your injection. If you're very deep, and particularly close to the vermilion border, that is where the superior labial artery lies, and that tends to be the area that gets occluded the most often. If you're more superficial and you're doing little depth checks, you get the idea of where your needle's positioned much more clearly, but I suspect the depth relative to the superior labial artery is the most important factor to be aware of to reduce your risk of vascular occlusion. You can also reduce the severity of vascular occlusions by not putting too much in individual injections. So I use about 0.05 mils per injection point. Next question is related. How deep can you inject while staying safe? The superior and inferior labial arteries tend to be about three to five millimeters underneath the vermilion border, both on the top and the bottom lip. That's your highest risk area, three to five millimeters from the surface of the skin. So that gives you an idea of where the most dangerous point is. If you are less than that, you should be further away from the artery, obviously. And there are other things you can do before you inject. For example, looking for the artery. Occasionally you can actually see the artery in the lip. Have a look for it before you start injecting. Feel for it, um, inject small amounts at a time, aspirate, all of those things decrease your risk a little bit. So in terms of depth, you need to be less than three millimeters if you're near the vermilion border. There's probably more room to be deep when you're injecting the lip body, but then you've got to start to imagine where that superior labial artery is, which is usually just underneath the orbicularis oris muscle, curving up. And if you're in a lip body of someone who's young with full lips, you've got more room than someone who's old or someone with small lips. 
in which case you need to be particularly sensitive about your position of your needle tip as you are going down the anterior wall of the lip because you're getting closer to that area underneath the muscle which is where 80% of the time the labial artery is. Should you avoid treating the part of the vermilion that is in between the cupid's bow. Now, if I'm picturing this correctly, we're talking right dead center in the middle of the lip, sometimes called the middle tubercle, which not everyone has, and it is a place that you can treat. The middle of the lip is more risky because the blood vessels, as they come across laterally, they actually become a little bit more inferior and closer into the lip body. But this is an intellectual point, really. The main thing is that in the middle of the lip, um, I think aesthetically there's less reason to treat there quite as much as there is more laterally. There will be people with a middle tubercle that needs some augmentation if you've done the lateral points, but actually I would think your average patient probably doesn't need that many injections there. Now I do see people injecting right down to augment the cupid's bow. Sometimes I think that has the opposite effect, which is as you're injecting along the vermilion border medially between the cupid's bow, you, instead of creating an arch where the cupid's bow becomes more prominent, you fill the middle and you actually lose some of that shape. So that can happen and it's an area that I don't treat very often unless I'm certain that won't happen. Next question is, I'm an experienced injector, but I still end up getting lumpy lips. How can this be? So, there are lots of things that contribute towards lumps. Assuming your patients aren't reacting, which wouldn't be in your control, you'd have the same risk as any other patient group. The factors would be how much are you putting in one particular bolus, because the more you put with one injection, the more likely that your patient can see and feel that. The second would be that you're using a product that's more likely to cause lumps. So you may want to consider trying different products, particularly softer products and the lips might be better. Um, the third is that you're not massaging your patient after you've treated them. So I always say massage is about 50% of the work that you're doing. You do your injection and then I do a little strategic check in different places of the face just to make sure the filler is where I want it to be. Now I know there are people who teach that if you inject correctly the filler is always where you want it to be. But if you watch filler, you will often find, particularly in lips, you can see it squirrel away into different places that you didn't mean to inject. It just follows a low pressure route and can collect in areas where you don't need actually want the filler to be. So the thing to do is in between injections or at least when you finish the procedure is feel and shape the lips almost like you're sculpting with plasticine to make sure they are the shape that you want very gently. It's a tactile process. You're feeling and squeezing at the same time, smooth along the lips, shape so that you're not squeezing product obviously into the white lip. And that should reduce your risk of lumps dramatically. Just a simple massage after every procedure. How can you avoid bruising when injecting lips? The simplest way to reduce bruising is to reduce the number of entry points. Every single time you stick the needle into the lips, you are gonna go through some structures and some of them will be blood vessels that will bleed. The more often you go into lips, the more bruising that you'll get. So the first thing to reduce bruising is don't inject unnecessarily large number of injections if you can do the same job with less. So review your treatment plans and see what's the most efficient way of getting filler into the lips without going in too many times. The second is to control your movements. So I see a lot of new injectors when they first start and they have coarser movements than the more experienced injectors. So it's very important that you become very stable before the needle enters the skin. You wanna make sure that your body is stable from your feet upwards. So feet stable, splayed apart, pelvis resting on the bed, your forearm resting on the couch, your hand resting on the patient's face, sometimes with your finger as well, stabilizing it so that the only muscles 
that you have to control are in your fingertips. This gives you much more ability to control the fine movements, which means you're not going unnecessarily deep or lacking that control. That's one of the main things I see with new injectors is that they haven't got that tight control over their fingers because they are unstable somewhere else along that system. So get really precise with your injecting and that can reduce bruising as well. The next factor which I've noticed is the temperature of your room and particularly on hot summer days can dramatically affect how much blood is in your patient's face so that when you inject them, they bleed for longer. Now I noticed this years ago that my clinics would take longer if I didn't have an air conditioned room or if, I or if it was particularly hot day. And that's just because vasodilation to keep the body cool means there's much more blood to leak out, more of the vessels are expanded and as you inject, you bruise more. So it can help on those hot days to put a cool compress on your patient's lips before you start injecting, and that may reduce bruising. Of course, there are a whole host of other patient factors which we should be screening for. So patients taking any medication that thins your blood, so aspirin, clopidogrel, uh, anything that decreases clotting may increase the chance of bruising as well. So you may want to select those patients to treat on a different day or not treat them at all, or at least consent them to the fact that bruising is more likely take longer with your procedure and make sure that you're stopping any bleeding with your hand and not looking to see if it stopped bleeding too soon. That's another very simple tip. If you see a bleeder, put your hand on it, put your finger on it and don't look at it for at least 30 seconds, maybe a minute if it's on the bigger end, because that is your chance to stop that blood leaking out and flooding the tissues and causing a bruise. One final thing to say on this, there's actually lots of other things you can do on bruising, but it's really important to explain to your patients what a bruise is because many of them think a bruise equals an injury and effectively what they'll go home thinking is this patient, I've been injured by my clinician rather than I have a blood vessel that had a needle passed through it and it leaked blood under the skin. I know this is very odd because all, all medical professionals, we know what bruising is, but most patients actually have never thought about it in any detail. And when you explain to them what a bruise is, they quite often feel a lot better about the whole thing because it makes perfect sense that if you stick a needle into the skin, there will be some blood vessels there. Sometimes they will bleed and that's all that a bruise is. It doesn't mean that you've been assaulted. If you'd like to ask more questions, don't forget to drop them in the comments. It does inspire us to come up with new content to help you guys succeed. Mm -hmm.